so we're back in Ecclesiastes. Uh, we are picking up in chapter 5. If you haven't opened up your Bible on your phone or you know, in a real book, I uh, hope you've, you've gotten there uh, eventually. And uh, as, as Garrett was praying, uh, we're in uh, an election season, and it always amazes me as I listen to both sides uh, talk about their vision for America. Uh, they always land on the same bottom line, and that bottom line is economic gain. Um, the conservatives are saying uh, we're going to have a, a society that's free of government's, in, government's intervention, and that's going to allow the economy to really uh, grow, and then everyone's going to have a lot more wealth and economic gain. And then folks on the more progressive side are saying, we're going to have wise governmental intervention, and that's going to protect the, the rights of the poor, and it's going to create a society where everyone will get economic gain. And so the bottom line, the thing that they both agree on is that economic gain is the end all of whatever it is that they are proposing. And uh, the question is, is that enough? Uh, is having wealth and economic gain enough? And Ecclesiastes would say no. <laughs> Unequivocally say absolutely not. It is not uh, enough. And um, this is what we're going to look at as we look at chapter 5 here. Uh, we're going to answer three questions. What is the proper view of economic gain? Uh, why isn't the economic gain enough to satisfy? And what is enough to satisfy? So uh, what is the proper view? Why isn't it enough? And what is enough to satisfy? So what is the proper view? Well. Uh, look at, at, at verse 8 there in chapter 5, and he says, If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them. But this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. So he's circling back to this idea of uh, injustice, of uh, a lack of righteousness. Uh, he's describing the poor being oppressed, uh, not receiving uh, the, the righteous, just treatment uh, that they deserved. And he says, don't be surprised if you see that. And, and why would he, he say that? Well, he's saying that because the world is full of fallen human beings who tend toward corruption. And notice that he uh, mentions that there's a hierarchy of people over people over people, and he's he's saying even if you have that hierarchy, which you would think would create accountability, that hierarchy can turn into a corrupt system because you've got corrupt individuals that make up the corrupt system. And so it's just this like reality check where he's saying if you see injustice and, and unrighteousness, don't be surprised. But then he says it is gain if you have a king who, who would be on the top of the hierarchy who is committed to cultivated fields and their kingdom. And so he, he's, he's letting us know economic gain matters. It, it, it is important. And it is important that our officials care uh, about those things. Um, and, and we know from Scripture, Old and New Testament, that, that God cares about those things. He cares about uh, economic gain. We hear from the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 6, in Jesus' teaching. Uh, he says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. 
And so Jesus is teaching um, that you, you don't need to worry or be anxious about these things, but know that your Heavenly Father understands that you need them. You, you need food. You need clothing. You need a roof over your head. You need education. Like, like these things are things that God created you to need. And so they, they are important. Uh, and so this is part of the proper view. It's, it's not just dismissing them and saying, oh, economic gain doesn't matter. No, it, it, it does matter. Uh, but also included in that proper view is that it's not going to ultimately satisfy. Like look at Ecclesiastes uh, 5 verse 10. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And so he, he's, he's letting us know, yes, it's important. Uh, yes, it's good when a king is like committed and, and the leaders of a, of a government are committed to economic thriving of their citizens. Like this, this, this matters, but it's not going to satisfy ultimately. Um, and we've heard some similar things in Ecclesiastes, right? And, and as I said a couple weeks ago, it, we, we, he just keeps circling back around. He just keeps coming back around to the same uh, topics. Um, and then drilling down a little bit deeper in, in each time that he circles back around. And we need this, right? Because honestly, it's hard for us to believe this, right? I, I think most of us are thinking, if I had more economic gain, I would be satisfied. My life would be good if I had this. You know, there's always a, a thing on our list. If, if we had that, then life would be good. I'd be set. And, and it's so, we really need to be uh, worked with to, to kind of get up under that false belief and I think Solomon knows that. So here he is circling back around. So he's going to give us four reasons why economic gain will not ultimately satisfy. Um, the first one um, uh, is in, oops, lost my, lost my place. Um, verse 11 and 12 says, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. So, first reason why economic gain doesn't ultimately satisfy is that uh, great, with great wealth comes great responsibility. Uh, the day laborer, who just gets enough, enough pay for the day, uh, gets a meal, gets a full belly, and goes to sleep. And while the day laborer is sleeping, the boss is tossing and turning because the boss is thinking about, okay, is the market turning? Do I, do I need to uh, put some money in advertising? Do I need to uh, start a second location? Do I give raises? Do I not give raises? Do, do I need to get the quarterly taxes ready and, and sent into the accountant? Like the, the boss who has a lot of wealth also has a lot of responsibility and those responsibilities are burdensome. I remember when the, the first time this kind of uh, hit me, I, I was uh, standing at this beautiful home in the backyard, gorgeous mansion uh, on the East Coast, and there's a big beautiful pool, and my kids are swimming in it, and I'm standing there talking to the owner, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm just asking normal questions like I would anyone, and obviously the, you know, the owner is very well off, and I'm, I'm saying, how are you doing? Like, how, how's life? How things going? And and uh, the, the owner is like, oh, man, I'm, I'm just so stressed. There's just so much going on. And I'm like, okay, well, what, you know, what's going on? And this, this uh, uh, person's like, well, I have these four properties. 
and they're totally stressing me out. So, that, so she had a property on the East Coast, a property in Florida, a property in Vail, Colorado, and a yacht. And, and so they, they, she was so stressed out because of the, the, the finances around that, the, the staffing around that, uh, the upkeep of all those properties and, and making sure that, that things were kept in a, an appropriate way. And it dawned on me that uh, you know, having a lot of stuff, having a lot of riches, uh, with that <clears throat> comes a, a burden of responsibility. Um, there's another reason, uh, second reason, that um, having economic gain does not satisfy. You see verse 13, 14 says, There is a grievous evil that I, I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt, and those riches were lost in a bad venture. And he is father of a son, but he has nothing in his hand. So number two, economic gain does not satisfy because it can be so easily lost. It can be so easily lost. Um, you can't make money and even maintain money unless you risk the money. And the money is always at risk. I mean, even if you got it all out in cash and you put it under your mattress uh, and then the value of the dollar drops, right? Or, or, or you say, well, I'm going to invest it. Okay, well, invest it in some real estate. Invest it in some stocks. And then the market drops. And then you... You, you lose your money. But if you're going to maintain it, you've, you've got to do those kinds of things. You, you've got to invest it. You've got to, to risk it. And if you risk it, you will most likely lose it at some point. And if you, you talk to wealthy people, uh, most of them have a story or two about times in their lives when they lost it all. And, and they, they had to like go borrow money to keep the business going. And, and it just, it, it was totally, uh, their business were totally uh, tanked. I know in the 2008 recession, uh, people lost a total of $10 trillion. $10 trillion. About $3 trillion in mortgage values, home values in America. Uh, about $7 trillion in the stock market. Uh, we could have paid off our entire national debt with that money that was lost with $10 trillion. Like one-fifth of the whole global you know, GDP. I don't know what GDP means, but you, you know what that means. Um, but it was big. It was big, but you had to have it to lose it. So, so if you were working an hourly job and you, you kept your job and you're, you're watching the, about the stock market crash, you're, you're like, who cares? Right? You're, you're not worried about it while you know, your, your rich friend down the street is having a coronary because they've just lost millions and millions of dollars in their stock market you know, 401k. And so the, the day laborer is just full belly, go to sleep, have a nice, ha, n nice night, while those that are, are, ha, have wealth are uh, losing it, those that have wealth are having burdensome uh, responsibility. It does not ultimately um, satisfy. Now there's another reason it doesn't satisfy. Look at verse 15. It says, as he came from his mother's womb, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing for his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go. And what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Uh, economic gain doesn't satisfy because you can't take it with you. You can't take it with you. You come into this uh, world poor. You're so poor, you're naked. Right? I mean, that's how poor you are. You, you have no clothes. And then you, you work for decades, you toil, you, you, you accumulate all this wealth, and then guess how you go out? 
You go out the same way you came in. You're so poor, you're naked. The CEO and the day laborer go out the same way. And so Solomon is like, this is meaningless. This is Hevel, this economic gain. It does not have ultimate meaning because you cannot take it with you. And then on top of all that, even when you're in this world, the, the toilsome, uh, wealthy, the, the, the wealthy toiler is not able to enjoy it. Look, look at verse 17. Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness in much vexation and sickness and anger. The wealthy toiler is getting up early to go to work and eating breakfast in the dark, working all day, and then coming home in the dark and eating dinner in the dark. Now, if, if you live in New England in winter, that's not hard to do. Okay, I, I get that. But I don't think that's what he's talking about. I think he's talking about working a lot of hours where you, you eat your breakfast in the, in the dark, you eat your dinner in the dark. And on top of that, you are vexed. Uh, we would probably say stressed, right? You're worried, you're frustrated, uh, you're sick, and you're angry. And so he, he has just pulled us right up on the edge of the cliff here, has he not? Yeah. It's, it's another one of those moments in Ecclesiastes where, where he is making a case that something is heavy, that something uh, like work and the acquisition, acquisition of wealth, um, that this is absolute meaninglessness. And, and then as, as he pulls us on the side of the cliff, he pulls us back and he shows us how we can enjoy uh, appropriately um, economic gain. Verse 18, Behold, what I've seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him, for this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil, this is the gift of God. See a, a repetition there? For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps, them, keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. And so the preacher is shifting from his kind of uh, secularist uh, view of things and now he's shifting over into a more theological view uh, of things and he's saying there is a sovereign good God, a sovereign good God who, who gives economic gain, who gives wealth, uh, but he also gives a second gift, and that second gift is the capacity to actually enjoy the thing that he has uh, given. Now, he's, he said the first part already, right? He said that there's a sovereign good God. Uh, you should receive everything that's good in this life from his hand as a gift. Um, and, and, and now he's adding this, the second gift that you need uh, from God, and that is to receive the capacity to enjoy it. This is incredibly humbling. I mean, this is how messed up human beings are. Even if we do have economic gain, we have our needs met. We have uh, clothes and food and a house and, and maybe even some things that we want. We're still miserable. Like right? we, we still need God's intervention uh, such that we could actually enjoy uh, the, the, the wealth that we have uh, been given. And, and again, we, push, we probably push back on that, right? We're like, uh, is that really true? I mean, if, if I had, you know, we have our list of things that we wish we had, I think I really would be satisfied. And, and again, go back to his earlier argument of all the reasons why economic wealth doesn't satisfy. 
right? That, 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 that it increases a burdensome responsibility, that, that it can easily be lost, that you can't take it with you, uh, and that your toil in, in, that you have to put in to get it can easily steal the joy uh, that you, you, you could have had from uh, the wealth itself. Uh, th think of it, um, you know, that, that this way, that uh, like, like for some people, this, this would be a different way to think about it. You know, you want kids. You're like, I want, I want children. I, I want these, this good gift, right? And then you get the children, and then the children are a source of pain for you, <laughs> right? They're keeping you up at night. They're fighting with their siblings and driving you crazy, right? They're, they're getting sick, and you're having to care for them. Like, 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 like this kind of a thing is, is what he's describing with wealth. Like we think we, we want this great good gift and it is a good gift, just like children are a good gift. But, but, it, but if we put so much weight on them, giving us meaning, just like putting weight on money to give us meaning is gonna let us down every time. And, 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 and this is just, just like children, we need God to intervene such that we could actually enjoy the good gifts that he's given uh, in our material wealth. And it doesn't seem that God is giving that gift to everyone, right? Do you see what's described there? Move to chapter 6. He says, There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind, a man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing for all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them but a stranger enjoys them. That, this is vanity. It is a grievous evil. If a man fathers a hundred children, lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years, twice over, yet enjoy no good. Do not all go to the one place. And so again, he, he, he's pushing this idea that you can have a lot of wealth, but if you can't enjoy it, you might, you'd be better off as, as a stillborn child. Who, who was born and dead simultaneously, who never had to toil. If, if, you, if you can't enjoy the, the fruit of your toil, you're better off just not toiling in the first place, is what, what he's arguing. And just trying to show us the futility of toiling decade after decade to produce economic wealth and then not being able to receive it as a good gift from a sovereign good God. This is Hevel. And we, at least in America and, and a lot of the world, we have a whole society of this, right? We have a whole society of Hevel, of not just uh, individuals seeking after economic gain and not being able to enjoy it, but a whole society that's seeking after economic gain and not able to enjoy it because of all those reasons and others that we mentioned earlier uh, in uh, the text. And so, you know, as, as we hear these um, folks on the Republican side and the Democratic side, and they're making all their promises, and, and, and they're, they're communicating 
uh, that this economic gain, like th this is the ultimate thing. And if you vote for me, I'll give you this economic gain and then you will have a wonderful life. And, and, and it's like they're promising a, a, a faux heaven uh, that, that they're inviting you into. And, and as Christians, again, we, have a, we want to have a proper view. Yes, those things are important, but no, those things are not ultimate. So what does satisfy? If, if economic gain doesn't satisfy, if, if what we could obtain under the sun does not satisfy, what, what does satisfy? I want to take you back to Matthew 6 and reread those verses I read earlier about Jesus' teaching about material wealth, but then show you the, the very next verse uh, after that. It says, Therefore do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. And then look at the next verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. You just you see Jesus in a beautiful powerful teaching there of, of acknowledging, yes, economic gain matters. Your food matters. Your, your roof over your head, it matters, and it matters to God, but it's not, it's not what we seek ultimately. What we seek ultimately is the kingdom of God. And, and this uh, ability, this capacity to, to break out of life under the sun and break into life under heaven, it really it comes as a gift uh, from God. It comes from a gift uh, from God. Matthew 28, um, you hear Jesus uh, talking about this uh, cosmic kingdom that he is king of. He says, Jesus came to them and says, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Right? He, he's letting us know there is a good king that's at the top of the hierarchy, the ultimate hierarchy. And, and, and so he cares about the cultivated fields, right? Even if we have official after official after official that are, are leading in injustice, not that those things don't, don't matter, they do matter, but we can know ultimately that we have a king who cares about the cultivated fields. He cares about what our, our material needs are, but he cares for more than that because the very next verses that, that come after his declaration of his authority says go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i commanded you and behold i am with you always to the end of the age so this one who is certainly concerned about cultivated fields is also concerned about a cosmic kingdom a cosmic kingdom whereby we are inviting people to come under the rule and the reign of the great King Jesus. Uh, this is what it means to make disciples. We're inviting them into the kingdom, the cosmic kingdom um, of God. And the way that Jesus has accomplished this, of, of, of breaking out of life under the sun, breaking into life uh, under the good King uh, Jesus, under heaven, as he accomplished that at the cross. He, he knew we would never be satisfied. Uh, we, we would never be able to be in relationship with our good king if he were not to save us from our sin, including the sin of seeking the satisfaction of our soul in God's gifts instead of God himself. I mean, I mean it's, it's really one of the, the, the most uh, embedded sins in most of our hearts in America 
is that we care more about the gifts that God gives us than God himself. And, and so the Savior King Jesus, the good sovereign God, has made a way for us to be saved from that sin and, and all other sins. Is, is by dying on the cross in our place so that we could be forgiven and, and have the satisfaction of our souls. And, and so this is such great news because uh, what, it, what it means is we're now day laborers. <laughs> we, we can now rest daily in, in the grace of God given to us at the cross. And so our souls can be satisfied, whether, whether we've, we've got a lot of economic gain or, or not a lot of economic gain, whatever, whatever the case may be. Our ultimate satisfaction is in our Savior, King Jesus. So rest with a, a full belly of grace in what God has given you at the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, we confess to you, we, we are constantly falling back into just a, a default of seeking our ultimate satisfaction in the things of this world. And one minute, we can, we can be reminded of that in Ecclesiastes, the next minute, uh, we're, we're falling back into this pattern, Lord. And, and it's not just something in our own hearts, Lord, it's in our, our society, it's, it, it's all around us. And so, God, we need grace to be able to live differently, to be able to think differently. And so, Lord, we, we come to you uh, asking for your help, asking for your forgiveness, uh, for seeking your gifts more than we seek you, uh, for seeking satisfaction in those gifts more than we seek satisfaction in you. Uh, and we, we do pray that you would provide. Lord, you, you teach us to pray for daily bread. And so uh, those out there that are worried, they're, they're struggling with provision or looking for a job, Lord, we, we, we lift up those needs, uh, but we lift them up in a way that seeks you and your kingdom first. And so, God, would you give us the, the grace that we need um, to, to turn away these kinds of, of empty uh, pursuits of, of, a, of eternal satisfaction in things that are not eternal. And uh, thank you for this time, God. Thank you for time in your word. And uh, we pray it would transform us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.